I so enjoy singing and, and those people that have to sit in front of me. Um, I'm sorry, but God tells us to make a joyful noise to him. And, and, and there's a time when we really do get to just enter in to worshiping the Lord. And Sunday morning, we try to orchestrate a time, an environment where we can all come together as brothers and sisters, fellow believers, and worship God corporately. And we participate in that. And that's what this day is about today. And as we transition and you're, you get to greet each other and your kids go upstairs and we sit down and we open the word, it's just one flow of worship to another all the way to the end of the day. My name is Chris Richards. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church. And, and we've been working through 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and we'll finish it up today. We'll finish it up. If there's any visitors here today, what we do here at Windsor Community Church is we, we pray over where God would have us in his word. And then we preach through that book one verse at a time all the way to the end of the book. And so where we are right now is finishing up chapter 9. Now in the last two Sundays, we've been through verses 1 through 6, two Sundays ago, about the, the concept of sowing and reaping and how sowing and reaping is really an issue of, of trusting the Lord because you're essentially sowing some of your food that you could have been eating to gain another harvest. And we went from there to last week where we talked about this attitude of generosity. What does it look like to actually just be generous? Now, I tried real hard to not say one practical thing last week. It didn't work. It just kind of came out. But when we look in chapter 8 where he says, you know, the Macedonians, they did something beyond what we expected. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then gave themselves to this collection. And last week, what I was trying to focus on is there's an attitude that we, every every last stitch of our human fiber, when we give ourselves to Christ, is now following hard after God. That could be my finances, my time, the talent God's given me, the whatever God has, however he's created me, when I said, Jesus, be my Lord, I said, all of it. Take it. And in our society, we kind of, it's very tough to live that way, right? We don't have kings and people aren't knighted and, and we don't see that type of voluntary servitude in our culture. It's more of a, you know, I'll, I'll give a little to this and I'll give a little to that and I'll give a little to, and we give a little to a lot of places. And God says, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be part of what you have on your shelf. I want all of you. And so last week, that's where I was trying to go with that, was there is no, no compulsion. We don't have to give under compulsion. We don't give grudgingly because we've given our whole self to the vision, to God. We've given everything to him. He's Lord. That's what that means. And so this week, we're going to step back and see, then, what does this giving do? As a, as a collective body, what happens with this? And I love how Paul wraps up this chapter. 
Let's open up with prayer before we read the passage. Yeah, God, I love the passage in that song we just sang that you'll be forever mine. God, the hope that you've given each one of us as we trek through this world and as we try to figure out these things and those things and as you're sanctifying us, God, we can always stop and say that you're forever mine. And God, we're forever yours. Jesus, I would pray that you would anoint your word today and you would teach us. God, that you would bring us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read this passage. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And in your bulletin, I messed it up. It says uh, 11 through 13. It's really 11 through 15, and that was my mistake. We're going to finish up the chapter, starting at verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. And that's where we ended last week, saying that as we gave, God just continues to fill that pipe as he sees someone generous. Which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry... They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, let's start in verses 11 and 12 here. We remember, as we, if we've gone through this, I'm just going to be reminding you of some history. When the church started, Peter stands up on Pentecost. He gives this huge sermon. 3,000 people get saved right now. Right now. And many of them, as you read through the history, many of them decided, you know what? My life is different. I have no reason to go back to where I came from. I'm staying here. And so we have this huge church sitting in Jerusalem and hard times fell on them. Where do I work? What am I going to do? There's all of these problems. And so the saints in Jerusalem are in a hard way. So that's the, the foundation of where this entire passage is going to. The saints in Jerusalem have made a commitment to the gospel in Jerusalem. And they, they, a lot of them stayed there. And they're without food, they're without work, and they're scrapping by. And on top of that, they're Jewish believers. And we're going to come into why that matters, but these are, these are Jewish believers. And Paul right now is writing to Greek Gentiles. And we're going to see how this, this mixes here in a minute. But they have this, they're, they're in this, this hard time. They have chosen this new way, the church. They've given their life to Christ and they're not going back. And so Paul says, you know what? Through the gifts that we're going to bring to you, it's going to bring about huge thanksgiving, the ministry of this service. Now, it says that it's going to meet, and and he uses a couple of extra words here, but it's going to fully meet the needs. So in Corinth, I guess these guys must have had 
a significant amount of money. It keeps saying it's going to be a generous gift. And here it says, not only is it going to fully meet the needs of the people in Jerusalem, but it's going to overflow in thanksgiving to God. And as a Christian, this is the noblest goal for any of our endeavors. Right? As a Christian, we think, okay, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to do these things. The noblest goal I can have in those endeavors is that God is going to be glorified. And when these people put this collection together, Paul is telling them the best thing that you could want is going to happen from this. God is going to be thanked. Thanksgiving is going to come from it. And God is going to be praised. When it says service... For the ministry of this service is not only fully... That word service, if we look back into to Luke Luke one twenty three, when Zechariah went into the temple and he was performing his priestly duties, well, Paul's careful to use the exact same word for service here. This ministry that this collection is going to take care of or is going to do is not just a social program. It's not just going to go and feed the Jerusalem church. But this is, this is a spiritual activity. And so he used a very specific word for this. This collection is not just something that's going to feed the poor or, or take care of, of planning a church. It's, it's more than that. What you're doing in this gift is spiritual activity. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've called it worship. When we give, giving is worship. It isn't just going to feed someone or going, you know, handing out money so that we can plant more trees in the community, which might be good. But this is a spiritual activity. One of the commentators I read had a very interesting line here. He said, you know, the the human race is like a thankless child. And as I sat and thought about that, I thought that's that's pretty true. At least it's true in my life. I'm kind of like a thankless child. God provides, God provides, and I expect and I expect and and more like a spoiled child almost. In Romans one twenty one, it says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him or give him thanks, but they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's really the world. That's where we're one step from, right? But by the grace of God, that's us too. But now that God's called us out of that, We can sit and we can see what God's done for us and we can be thankful for it. And when we see God provide in our lives, when we see God bring us mammon, when we see God provide us with that new job or we see God restore that relationship, we can say, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. That's not just something that just happened. I didn't just go and force that to happen. God really is in control and he's sovereign and and God has brought this to us. And we really can be thankful. Verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of the contribution to them and to all. Now, I said that the Christians now in Jerusalem are Jewish Christians. Now, we go all the way back to Abraham. God gave Abraham the keys to the kingdom and essentially said what we have in, in uh, first, first Peter chapter 2, that they were given the charge to go and declare the excellencies of God. 
And so to the Jewish people was, was the manifestation of God. They had the law. They had the prophets. And, and as they went through the desert, they had the Shekinah. They had the temple. They had the manifestation of God. And they figured that was it. It's theirs. The Gentiles don't get it. In fact, we're supposed to keep ourselves rather separated from those Gentile dogs. We don't eat with them. We walk on the other side of the street from them. We keep ourselves pure. We don't intermarry with them. They're going to lead us astray. We have God. They have no hope. And this has been ingrained into their culture for thousands and thousands of years. And so now we come to this point where Jesus comes on the scene and we have this group of people called the Corinthians who are a nasty bunch of proud, arrogant, rich, cosmopolitan Greek Gentiles that say, oh, by the way, we also love Jesus and have been called according to his purpose. And the Jewish Christians had a little bit of trouble with the possibility of this. But God took care of that too. We see in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, an entire chapter and a half is devoted to talking through this problem. It starts with a centurion named Cornelius. Cornelius is sitting in his house and he has this vision. And this angel says to him, Cornelius, you know, your gifts to the poor, your prayers have not gone unheard. God has heard you. Send for this guy named Peter and bring him to you. So after this vision, as you could imagine, Cornelius is a little uh, shaken up by this. And he grabs some people and said, look, look what happened. You two, you three and this soldier go to straight street. Go find this guy named Peter. So they walk all day and start getting there the next day. And just about the time they arrive, Peter goes up on top of the roof to pray. And it says he falls into a trance and he sees a sheet come down out of heaven. And in it are all these creepy crawlies, right? All these things that for thousands of years, this good Jewish boy can't eat. And he hears a voice that says, kill and eat. Peter says, oh, no, no, no. I'm a good Jewish man. I don't do that. And God tells him, no, no, no. Don't, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. Peter's a little confused. So, like things happen with Peter, everything with Peter happens in threes, right? He's a little slow, like some of us. So it happens again. It says, kill, eat. And Peter says, never has anything unclean ever touched these lips. Don't call anything unclean. Finally, the sheet is taken up, and he says, there's some guys that are about to show up at the door. Don't hesitate to go with them. These guys come, they get Peter, and they take him to Cornelius' house. Now, for us, we live in the melting pot, right? There may be some issues with races not getting along, racism in our country, but nothing like what you see here. Nothing. It took an act of God to get these people to start trying to come together, okay? So Peter goes to Cornelius' house, of which we read, and we don't think anything of it, do you? No, he just goes to Cornelius' house. 
Well, he's about to catch some flack for this that we'll see in a minute because you went to a Gentile's house? You went in the house? Well, we can't associate... How... What do you... So he goes into Cornelius' house and Cornelius tells him what happened and he said, I've brought everybody I know. My wife and kids are here, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my friends, my slaves, half the regiment that I, I'm in control. Everybody I know is here sitting in this house so that you will tell us what God has to tell you. So Peter tells him a little bit of his story about the sheet and he says, you know, I was a little leery about this, but God told me to come and tell you this. So he tells him about Christ. Now, the strangest thing happens. As he's telling them, he never actually gave an altar call. (laughs) He didn't do that. As he's talking to them, he said, what you see is people started getting the Holy Spirit. People, People were speaking in tongues and that same manifestation that happened with the Jews is now happening with the Gentiles and Peter... I can just imagine what's going through this poor guy's head. Because he has thousands of years of, of education in that they have the keys to the kingdom. And now, what is this? And so these are being reconciled. Okay? Alright, the message is not about Cornelius today. But we have to get a feel for what, what kind of, of problem is going on here. Because when we get to this place where it says, The proof, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God to your obedience to your confession. The Jewish believers didn't believe that the Gentiles could become Christians. And now that we have these Corinthians becoming Christians and giving to them as a proof that not only have we become Christians, but we, like you on that day of Pentecost, have given our lives to the calling of Christ. And with that comes our finances. And so we're giving to them. And it says because of that proof of the confession, they're going to give thanks. Let me read uh, 1 John 3, 16 through 20. Because this is a little aside, but even for us, the proof of our confession is in the fruit. It's in our fruit. Now, We have to say this up front. We don't earn our way to heaven. You don't do that. What Christ has done for us justifies us. And we give our lives to him. It's done. It's finished. But us giving our lives to him manifests itself in fruit. And so if you take a look and see if there's any fruit in your life and you come up with nothing... It means you're probably not in the faith. The word tells us to look at yourself daily and see if you're in the faith. Look for fruit. Is there no fruit in my life? If the answer is no, you need to ask why. Maybe there's just a raisin. I remember Tom Harkis used to say, even if there's just a little raisin hanging on the vine there, it's fruit. And let's work on that. And let's seek God. And let's see that big fruit starts to come out of that. But there needs to be fruit. Because fruit is going to manifest from the life of a believer. If you've given your life to Christ, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And if Christ is living in me, Christ is going to bear fruit. 
That's how it works. And if there's no fruit, if there's no proof of the confession, in Romans 10 it says, it's in your heart that you believe and you're justified. But it's your mouth, it's the fruit. It's your mouth where you confess and are saved. If there's no fruit, so the proof of your confession, let me read this passage. First John 3, starting in verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren, for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods, possessions, money, and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how can the love of God abide in him? Some of you, if you're using NIV, says, how can the truth be in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. When your heart tries to condemn you and say you're not the Lord's, Tries to condemn you and say, you know what, that is just a raisin. That's what this says is, you know what, you're, what you've done here, those deeds, that's proof to you that you're in the truth. So I have to say it again. We don't do things to earn Christ. But when we've given our life to Christ, Christ inside us is going to manifest fruit. And it is a proof of the confession you made. The proof of the confession. I'm, I'm going to take a little aside here because this is very interesting to me. And I had to pull all the math words out right here. God seldomly does things for one reason only. If God is working in your life and God is, has called you to do, you, you just have this, this burning desire to call somebody on the phone. And you think, ah, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. And tomorrow, it's still, I need to call this person. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put it off. Chances are really good that someone else needs to hear from you. Now, you're learning obedience and faith and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. God's teaching this other person something else. They need this encouragement. And in the case here of this collection, God both designed that the Jerusalem church needed it, And the Corinthian church needed to give it. You see that? Because his greater plan is that we need unity in this body. We need to unify these Jews and these Gentiles together. And so in his magnificent plan, and who knows what other things are going on at the same time, but at least these two things are obvious to us. He both elected that those in need are needy, and those that have to give need to give. And as we see it in Scripture, it looks like they're two very separate events. You see that this thing happened in Jerusalem and then there's a need. And God's working through them and learning faith, trust, obedience. Yep. And then you come over here to Corinth and it's a whole different thing. We're learning about worldly treasures and trusting God instead of trusting ourselves. And we have these two totally separate seeming lessons that have a very unified purpose. 
And in that, it brings it right back to the body. If nobody has any needs, then we don't have anywhere to give. But both the needy, if you find yourself in a place where you have a need, you have a need because probably there's somebody in the body who needs to meet it. And by hiding that need and just kind of sitting at home with the lights off so nobody finds out, is keeping something very important from happening in somebody else's life. So God has designed both the need and the extra. We have to keep that in mind. That's an aside. Verse 14. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Not only are they just going to accept you as brothers now, but they're going to yearn for you. And nearly every commentator I, I read on this brought a very interesting parable to bear here. The parable of the shrewd manager. And I, I thought that kind of odd because, and we'll talk about the shrewd manager here and see how it connects. But bringing the shrewd manager into this kind of makes it sound like, hey, Corinthians, you want to be blessed? You want to buy some prayers? You want to buy some heart attitude? Use your worldly wealth. Use this unrighteous money to buy blessing, to buy prayers. And when you put those two together, that's kind of what it sounds like. And, you know, that is what it's supposed to sound like. Because he's saying your money is going to that bridge that's been created over the thousands of years between the Jews and the Gentiles. This collection is going to bring this unity back together. And the Jews are going to accept these Gentile believers because they saw the confession. They see the proof, the proof that they are brothers. Now, the the shrewd manager, Luke 16, may be the strangest parable in Scripture. And this is one of those places where we have to remember a parable has one purpose only. We're not supposed to take a parable apart and say this means this and this means that and work through it that way. A parable is a, is a story that has one singular purpose. And here we have to figure out what that purpose is. So we have a shrewd manager. There's a guy who finds out that he's about to be fired. And he's too weak to run a shovel, and he's too proud to beg. So he thinks, well, what am I going to do? My, my boss is about to throw me out of my ear. I have nothing. I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll settle all of his accounts, and I'll make friends by cutting all of the debts down. So he brings the first guy says, what do you owe my master? And he says, well, I owe, I owe him a hundred barrels of oil. He said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Cut that to 50. Rewrite it. <laughs> right away, this is Jesus telling the story. Right away we think, is that supposed to be in the Bible? <laughs> okay, i got a great way to make a living now. 
But it doesn't stop there. He goes to the next guy and he says, okay, what do you owe my master? And he says, oh, I owe him a hundred bushels of wheat. Okay, let's make that 80. You're done. Call it good. And so essentially he is robbing his master by resetting these numbers. And he said, the reason I'm doing it is because when my master throws me out onto my ear, I can go to these people and say, hey, remember? Remember you and me, I, I helped you out there? Can I live in your basement? Some of that wheat that I let you not pay, you think maybe I could have some bread? Can I? I want to take care of myself here. It's all about self-preservation, right? And then Jesus says this to that. He says, you know what? That shrewd manager used his money to get what he wanted. And he actually made it sound like the shrewd manager was to be praised for what he did. That's what makes this parable confusing. Until you look at it and say, you know... He, what he's saying is the world knows how to use their money to get what they want. They know. And none of us have any issues with figuring out how to use our checkbook to get what we want. You look at our priorities and you say, I can fund those. We have no problems with self-preservation. We have no problems feeding ourselves. The question is, what is it we want? And so here's what Jesus, how Jesus ends that. He says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, just money. So that when it fails, not if, when it fails, they will receive you into their eternal dwelling. The question is, what is it that we want? So here, when we have in verse 14... The Corinthians, and I'm going to say it this way, buying prayers from the Jerusalem saints. Their hearts are going out, but they, they want to use this, this money that God has given them to unify. And they're going to get prayers from it. Now, this happens today, right? Some of you may support missionaries. And if you do, you probably get a letter that says, we're praying for you. Right? You're sending them money, keeping them alive, and then you get this newsletter that says, we saw 300 people in the mountain country of something come to the Lord this month. And you read that and you think, wow, I was a part of that. That's great. They thank you and they're praying for you and you're praying for them. And this gift ties you together. If you have a bulletin, at Windsor Community Church, what is it that we Want. We started this by saying, you know, we come together on Sunday, we participate in worship. At the top of your bulletin, thank you for Dean for pointing this out to me where it was this morning. At the very top of the bulletin, we write what we believe. What we at Windsor Community Church are about. How God has called us to glorify Him. It says we exist, I threw that part in there. Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Corinthian church are now believers. They're going to use this money that they have for a priority, for what they believe, what they want to do, and that's they're going to send it to Jerusalem. And we know that that happened. We'll get to that in a minute. Here at Windsor Community Church, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we say, here's, it is, we're going to use the money that God has given us 
to buy what it is we want. But we need to define what it is we want. And there it is. We want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, it's difficult to put money to that statement. God has given us all resources. We take those resources, we collect them, and then we use them for what it is we want. We want to see people be led into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you turn your bulletin over, the back side of that tells you how we're going to do that. Our core values. This is where the money goes. The collection. God says, use that money to gain. The world knows how to use money to get what they want. You need to be also. Here are the six core values that we put energy and money into. And we should read those. We're not going to right now, but they're on the back of your bulletin. They're always in our face. And let's see what this looks like today. Should be a slide coming up of the Crossway Chapel Network. When we take up a collection, we don't actually send it to someone who directly needs food. But what we believe in here, what it is, how God has called us to connect to his kingdom, to see people grow in a relationship with him, is by planting churches. We... We do a number of things here in the body as we learn and we cultivate and we disciple. But then beyond that, the collection that we take up goes to plant churches. Now, some of the numbers that you'll see up there in the last couple of years, Windsor Community Church has pumped $110,000 into seeing souls won in different places. To see churches raised up to pay pastors, to help them with buildings, to help them with equipment, to help them in Satine. Goodness, they're doing all kinds of things there, but to support the pastor in the Czech Republic so that he can go out and have time freed up to work in the community there. Where churches are being planted, we have an interest because God uses the church to disciple his believers. And we believe that. And so... That is what we want. We want to see churches planted where people can grow into a relationship with him. And so in that, we have, in the last couple of years, created the Crossway Chapel Network. And there are a number of churches in this Crossway Chapel Network. In fact, we were talking this morning, my slide's not big enough, because there's a church I even forgot to put on here. Okay? Grace Church of the Valley, who's come on as a, as a Crossway Chapel recently, is going to fit over there somewhere I couldn't get them on the slide, all right, and I forgot. But now the network is getting is large. How does this work? Well, we each put a certain amount into a missions fund. At Windsor Community Church, 12% of our giving goes into a basket, and that basket is used for missions. It's used to see churches planted. Greeley, coming up, maybe Loveland, maybe South Fork Collins, Maybe Johnstown, where the leaders get raised up and God puts a certain place on somebody's heart. Then we have this basket of money to put to see that church raised up and supported. And the other churches in the network 
do the exact same thing. Use Luke 16:9 from the shrewd manager. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, the money that God has given you, so that when it fails, you receive you into the eternal dwelling. The world knows how to use their money to get what they want. We know how to use our money to get what we want. The connection here is understanding we now are gods and God has called us. First Peter 2. We're a holy nation. We are now God's tool to declare his excellencies to the world. How are we as a church going to do that? Well, we as Windsor Community Church do it this way. When we planted... Mountain View Community Church sent us because they've been putting money aside. They're going to plant churches. They handed us a bag of money and said, plant a church. And I'm saying it that way, and surely there's a lot more to that bag of money. But it's just easier to say it that way. Go and plant. And so they supported Willie. They supported our ability to come here and help us with the building, put the down payment on the building, and get a church established here where we could see people discipled and raised up and leaders raised up like Willie, Dustin, Ben, who then went and planted Greeley. And from Mountain View, more people, they planted in Johnstown. They went and planted in Wilmington. And then other churches joined the network. What is it we want? We want to see people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the collection that we take is going to see that happen. So I saved the practical to today. Last week was, what's our heart when it comes to giving? We've given everything to the Lord. And how is that going to work itself out? Specifically in your life, what does that generosity look like? But then as a body, as we gather, there's strategy. There's strategy because we have an entire collection now. How is it that God's called us to use that to see people glorifying him? This is how. Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I love how Paul ties this whole section in chapter 8 and chapter 9 back to the center. A number of us read a book a couple weeks ago called The Cross-Centered Life. Paul ends this section on giving and the collection bringing us back to the center. To God's indescribable gift. This was one of the surprises to me in this study. That if you go through scripture over and over and over, Jesus Christ is called a gift. God gave us a gift. God is not compelled to do anything. He doesn't have to do anything. When man fell, God wasn't somehow compelled by justice to make sure that he gave his son to redeem us. God is a cheerful giver. And he chose to give the gift of his son for us. And Paul wraps up this whole section with that part. Romans 8, 32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with himself freely give us all things? God is a cheerful giver. And we're we're never more like God. I stole this from MacArthur. We're never more like God 
than when we're giving. When we step outside of ourselves and we're giving something of ourselves, we're never more like God than when we're doing that. Let's wrap this up with the scripture that actually talks about how this story closes in. In Acts chapter 20, when you actually see the history of the church and how everything came about, in Acts chapter 20 it says that Paul, from where he went when he wrote this, he did end up going to Corinth. He spent three months in Corinth and he made the collection. While he was in Corinth, he wrote the book of Romans. And if we turn over to the book of Romans in chapter 15, it says this. He then headed to the Jerusalem in chapter 15 with the generous gift. And I just thought it was nice to put some closure here. Because when we read chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul is entreating them to put this collection together. It hadn't actually happened yet. When he says, when you give this, the Jerusalem church is going to see this proof of your confession. He's still encouraging them to get it done. So chapter 8 and chapter 9 was not a done deal yet. When we go to Romans 15, though, we see that the Corinthians did, in fact, give themselves fully to this. And Paul went, gathered the collection, and headed to Jerusalem with it. Let's pray. God, I just want to ask what you would have from us. God, in a culture that is pretty is pretty interested in self-preservation, your word does call us to be very counter to that. And God, when we give ourselves fully to you, the benefit that we reap from getting to know you better and better and being yours forever. And that we can say that you're mine forever. God, far outweighs that which we think we're giving up. God, I pray that you would make that real in my mind. That you would make that real in our minds. Have your way with us, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.